Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Agency Unfiltered. I'm your host, Kevin Dunn. And Agency Unfiltered is a weekly web series and podcast that interviews agency owners, founders, and executives from around the world about operations, growth, and scale. Episodes can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. In today's episode, Jason Azakar, founder and CEO of HubSearch, joins the show to share his interpretation of the HubSpot talent shortage. And we look at the opportunity in front of partners through three lenses. Putting your best foot forward before hiring, best practices for facilitating a candidate through your hiring process, and the importance of sustainable onboarding plans and talent retention strategies. Pre-hiring, we talk about where and how to source the going market rates for HubSpot talent and how to position your company as a great place to work. For the hiring process, we unpack the full candidate experience and how to balance speed versus the quality of your hiring process. And lastly, after a hire has been made, we discuss strategies for onboarding, growing, and keeping top talent, how partners should be thinking about balance, and how to grow a people ops function. Are you feeling any friction or feeling any roadblocks as it relates to filling key hires? Well, if so, you're in the right place with Agency Unfiltered. Hey, Jason. Welcome to Agency Unfiltered. How's it uh, How's it going? It's going great, Kevin. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, excited to have you. Um, now, well, I'm interested, you know, we should tell the folks that are tuning in where you're dialing in from, but I also think it's equally important to like paint the picture of what I'm seeing behind you. So, because <laughs> this is an audio only medium, people need to know, because similarly, sure. I mean, you can see, you know, the, some Super Bowl headlines mm-hmm. framed behind me. So uh, where are you dialing in from and paint the picture of your back wall there? Okay, so uh, finally warm and sunny Cleveland, Ohio. It's been uh, it's been a very rough spring, but we're finally there. I mean, by there I mean mid seventies. It's not summer here yet, but maybe we'll be there by August. <laughs> um, I got an awful lot going on behind me. One of my one of my COVID obsessions has become houseplants. Hmm. My wife my wife thinks I'm a little crazy for for all the. I mean, I've got like thirty plants in my office at this point, which is get it's pushing it a little bit, but. I enjoy it. It's nice to green green up the indoor space, um, and of course, I've got a miniature shrine to Tom Brady on my wall behind me. I grew up in Southern New Hampshire and lived lived in Boston for a whole bunch of years. So, even though I broke my heart a little bit by <laughs> by putting on by putting on the Bucks jersey, you can't hate on Tom. Brady. You can still root for the man. Um, I, have, I, have I tried to. my hand at the plants. By the way, uh, I failed. I cannot. You know, I thought what they need is water, um, but apparently, that's not enough in, in my house. So. Uh, I'm not, I'm not good at keeping them alive. Um, and it's only a matter of time. I mean, I'm having a hard time convincing my bosses that this should just turn into a HubSpot Academy sponsored Tom Brady podcast, but, uh, but we'll, stick with the, st- we'll stick with the topic at hand here. Um, I mean, the man is responsible for some of the most joyous moments of my life. So a hundred percent give credit where credit is due. hundred percent. Um, greatest living American, right? Um, but we are here to talk about, uh, hiring, candidate experience sure um filling those hard to fill positions mm-hmm. um i think directionally where hubspot is going the platform it's requiring a different type of skill set 
uh, in talent, yes. like cohort of talent, the types of mm -hmm. candidates. And so, yeah, I think it's fair to say that that absolutely represents a challenge for for the ecosystem that is our partners. Um, and I'm excited for your perspective on the matter because, uh, you know, obviously by the nature of your business and your role, you've helped solutions partners fill hundreds of these types of positions, right? Yes. And so let's start with this. How do, what do you view as the greatest blocker or bottleneck uh, for partners to be able to fill, you know, the open positions uh, on their careers page? Oh, for sure. Okay. So two, two parts and it's, it's, shortage of talent and competition for that talent. And we, we talk about it a bunch. I mean, HubSpot has so outkicked their coverage. In other words, has has created partners and customers at such a fast pace. The, the, the pace at which people are learning to be true practitioners of, of the HubSpot tool set is much slower. So it's created this, this vacuum, right? I mean, it's it's created this this space where there are an awful lot of agencies and an awful lot of these agency partners and an awful lot of HubSpot customers that are all competing for, for a very small amount of really skilled HubSpot professionals. It's an absolute supply and demand issue. Without question. And it sounds like just the types of candidates that we need to exist in the talent ecosystem, they're not being built fast enough. Is that fair to say? 100%. And there's really no, there's really no mechanism to build them or build them more quickly. Um, I'm having some interesting conversations with a handful of partners right now, but like, how do we actually address the problem of creating HubSpot talent? And one of my one of my favorite um, uh, tests that we ran was, look, if, for example, if you just go Google Salesforce bootcamp, Salesforce training, the first couple of pages of companies are entire organizations devoted to teaching people Salesforce. Mm -hmm. That literally does not exist for HubSpot yet. Yeah, it's it's basically it's the academy. You're either you're learning HubSpot through academy or work experience. There aren't yet organizations that essentially represent like HubSpot skills boot camps. You've uh, you've maybe not the primary topic at hand here, but you've secondarily identified a market opportunity for some business out there to fill that hole. Oh, for or sure, businesses because it sounds that, like there's 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 room, right? There's room to fill well, that. Someone's going to build it. It's probably you know fast forward five years, there will probably be several. Like especially as this HubSpot admin, real you know the HubSpot admin really becomes a bigger piece of what's needed in the ecosystem. We could talk more about that, especially as that really becomes a part of this. Yeah, there will be multiple companies that what they do is teach people HubSpot through some sort of like whatever fourteen week intensive or something. Um, it's interesting that you brought up admin. Is that is that the classification? Is that the type of role that we're seeing the supply shortage? Is it we've I've talked a little bit about solutions architects. Is it architecture? Is it front-end developers? Is it back-end developers, right? Custom integrations and APIs. Like how, would you, how would you assess the type of role that's the biggest uh, supply shortage? Okay, excellent question. So it's definitely all of the above. Sure. But starting to trend much more toward technologist. And yep. HubSpot admin can mean a different thing to, a different, to, to every audience, but really talking to somebody who's, less a digital marketer and more a systems person. Yep. Right. A, like a highly technical non-developer. Yes. Right. Right. We're not, we're not talking about software engineers here. We're talking right. about sysadmin, system owner, product owner, somebody who could actually pull off a complex integration migration. Um, I'll give you, I'll give you an interesting, uh, an interesting data point here. So like when, 
when we launched Hub Search in 2019, for the first year, year and a half, the vast majority, I mean like 80 plus percent of our searches were some flavor of, I need a great digital marketer and they have to know how to do their thing in Marketing Hub. And sure. great. Right. And great. And that has, that has very much shifted. I mean, over the last year and a half or so, it has become much more, I need the technologist. We've, we've got a marketing team. We've got some marketing presence. We can do inbound marketing. What we don't have is the person who's going to really effectively operate our HubSpot tools, build infrastructure, build automation and reporting, et cetera. Yeah. That, that has really become the primary thing. And you know, the fact that HubSpot's getting pulled upstream into, into enterprise land is, is really shining a light on this need. I mean, the, these bigger companies that HubSpot is, is now landing as clients will will absolutely need true HubSpot admins. Yep. Um, and we're seeing it today, even with even with smaller and medium sized businesses. I mean, like you know, HubSpot. I won't get I won't get too much on the soapbox on this thing because it's the <laughs> thing we talk a lot about. But like forever, you know, no surprise to anybody listening to this. HubSpot for a very long time sold the products on the premise that it's so simple to use, you don't need an admin. And that's actually a way that, you know, they positioned against Salesforce in that way. Yep. And that's just not true anymore for an awful lot of organizations, right? Especially once Sales Hub became a paid hub. Now, more sophisticated organizations are using HubSpot as their CRM of record. Like if mm-hmm. you're using multiple hubs and it's the, the product or suite of products that your business is running on, you, you need a product owner, yeah. aka your, your HubSpot admin. And I think it's just it kind of, yeah, I mean, I think what you've assessed is feels accurate and it's more so a decoupling from, uh, we still have that intuitive UI, the user friendliness. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, underneath the hood, it can be built sophisticated enough and like technically kind of, you know, powered enough, complex enough, like we can map to whatever business processes that, that you need to, or tech stack it needs to plug into, right? Yeah, without question. I mean, if you're a true small business and you're on the starter pack, you definitely don't need a HubSpot admin. Sure. But there are so many companies that that's that's just not what their instance looks like. It's multiple hubs, pro and enterprise accounts getting really complex. Yeah. So uh, to, to tee this up, I think about it uh, as three distinct categories, at least for the sake of, of our conversation today. And, and so I'm excited to pick your brain about... Uh, the hiring process as it begins, an mm-hmm. open role, an open position has been identified by a partner or business that needs to be filled. We can then talk about uh, the applicant process and the candidate experience. Uh, and then we can talk about like, you know, offer accepted, post hiring, you know, how sure. to set that hire yeah. for success. That's kind of that's kind of how I'm thinking about this. Um, but as to, to set the stage for nailing those three components, like how would you define the opportunity in front of the partners who nail this process? We've talked about a shortage and we've talked about a competition. Is it just getting, getting the talent that, that currently exists? Is that the biggest opportunity? Oh man. Okay. That's a big question. So now we're talking about just like the power of people ops as it, as it relates to HubSpot partners. And there's, there's an awful lot of things I can talk about here. So let me first say, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how many, I don't know how publicly known this is, but when we when HubSearch first launched, we we literally built this service offering for HubSpot partners. I mean, that was 100% of our target audience. We sure. our first tagline was something like built for the partners. When we went to market with this thing, we said, 
what we want to do is become the recruiting team of record for the HubSpot partner ecosystem. Like really go own that space. Yeah. And I'm so glad we started there. Look, we realized pretty quickly we had actually over-niched and it would be silly for us to say no to HubSpot customers that needed help. Did they start to pop up organically and being like, hey, would you be able to help? Or were you just like, no, we just know there's an addressable market here. We're skipping over. We started getting a ton of referrals. Yeah. The, the, The partners we worked with early started coming to us and saying, hey, our client is really struggling to make this key hire. It'll it'll deepen our relationship. Can you help them? We said, well, yes, right? We, of, of course we can. Um, but one of the things we've gotten to do along the way is add an awful lot of value around the idea of, of people ups because we, we're a recruiting organization at the most basic level, right? Really our primary deliverable is great candidates, great experience for candidates, mm-hmm. and ultimately a great new addition to your team. But we get to add value in some really fun ways, right? It's, uh, let me give you an example. I get on a first conversation with a potential client. And very frequently, that conversation goes something like, we know we need to hire somebody. We know they need to know HubSpot. That's about as far as we've gotten. Let me tell you about, let me tell you about the business and where we are and what we're seeing and what our challenges are. And can, can you guys maybe help us scope this thing? Look, that might be the most fun use case that we that we get to dive into it. It allows us to really sort of act as like fractional chief people officer for our, yeah, for our class. There's true yeah. consultancy there. Hey, let me actually help you kind of shape this thing and like what it could that's look true. like. Right. Yeah. And look, and honestly, that's the fun part. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and the other side of this thing is I, I tell potential clients and clients this all the time, like you, you should not have to use us for all of your hires. And in fact, don't, don't use us for all your hires, especially if what you need is like an earlier career generalist or somebody who's just really intelligent because you've got the time to train. Don't, don't pay an agency for that. That's got to be something you're good at acquiring on your own. And it, it, it all ties back to inbound recruiting. Sure. Yeah. Right. HubSpot partners are mostly by volume masters of the inbound philosophy and methodology, like apply that stuff to your recruiting funnel. Yeah. Everything that's, everything that's successful in, in inbound marketing can be applied to how you go attract, engage with and attract and keep amazing people. Yeah. And especially in this market, the very first touch point there, the first thing to think about is like every candidate who interacts with you is interviewing you just as much as you are interviewing them. And that I feel is, like that's that even is, more so the case in the talent market that exists today, right? 100%. The optionality, is, the control that a candidate has at this moment in time, right? Oh my goodness. The optionality is wild, especially like one of the things that, and this is no, no secret, one of the things that COVID did was it pushed us into this remote work, you know, in, environment where- as a candidate, you now are not just evaluating all the jobs within a 30 minute, 40 minute drive of your home. You're looking nationally. Yeah. I mean, it's candidate, especially great candidate, great candidates now have more options than they literally have ever had at any point. So one of the first things from a philosophy perspective that we talk to a lot with our clients is like, you've got to get your mind, you've, you've got to get past the old school mentality of candidate, you're lucky we're interviewing you. You're you're fortunate to be a part of our process and you would be so lucky to come work here. Yeah. Congratulations on receiving an email back from us, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. And look, we we honestly don't run into, I'm I'm exaggerating the stance, right? But you get it. But there there are still um, aspects of that 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 play into people's processes. And it's just a big part of what we do early on in in our engagements is like, help our clients understand that that's just not, you just, you can't approach it that way. Right. You, 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 you company are fortunate that this candidate is evaluating you as the place they're going to spend the next bunch of years. Mm-hmm. 
And it's so the perfect tee up um, as we talk about the hiring process in that it's the, the geog- like, Hey, is this uh travelable office from home? And now it's, well, yeah, I can look across the entire United States of America. Mm-hmm. And so uh, how do you make yourself look and be the most attractive option for candidates? Does it, does inbound recruiting in that, that whole process begin with how you communicate your culture, um, transparency into your hiring process? Like how should partners be putting their best foot forward to be the place that the candidates that are searching uh, want to apply for and, and look more into? Does that make sense? Yeah, I love it. Okay. There's a bunch there. Let me give you the two, the two primary th- levers that I think partners can pull to, to make themselves an employer of choice. Um, it's two, it's two things. I can't tell you how many partners we talk to and interact with that are hiring, are recruiting, but don't have a well-built out careers section on their website. Hmm. Right. It's like, you're missing a whole part of your audience. Yeah. You're, you know, it's like you're, you're, you're doing all this work to drive visitation, drive people to the site. An awful lot of those people could be candidates. Make sure you're capturing that stuff with, with a well-built out, um, careers page and your careers page is a miniature version of who we are. What are our core values? What do we believe in? Why are we a great place to work? What does work-life balance mean to us, et cetera, right? All the things you'd expect mm-hmm. companies massively underinvest in that thing. The quick right? so win here is to just build it, you know, have it well, for and clearly sure. communicate that, that, that content. At, at on the it. very least have it. Yeah. And of course, the more you invested it, um, the better. I mean, especially if you're an organization that is growing, has growth opportunity, is is likely to hire, you know, c- consistently across a number of years. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so that's part one. The other part is actually the structure of the way companies post jobs. Hmm. It's this is actually where that old mentality of candidate, you're so lucky that we're talking to you, creeps creeps into the process. That is the way that job descriptions are too often written. Right. I, I talk. I talk to our clients about this all the time. Like, there are two versions of a job description. There's an internal version which talks about the requirements, the educational requirements, what you need, the qualifications, etc. That's an internal doc. That's you as an organization defining what you need. That is definitely not the thing you post out to the world. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, companies they, they're one in the same. Right. Exactly. They say, okay, we got our thing. We're going to post it out. That's that, that, um, so how would you describe the distinction? What should be the, uh, external facing job? Oh, yeah. posting? What's the it's difference? A totally, it's a totally different document. It is literally a piece of marketing collateral. Mm-hmm. Build a document that talks about why your organization is amazing to work for what you do to take care of your employees, why you, why the, why your audience, why the reader should be really excited to engage and start a conversation. And in there, layer in just enough information about what you need this person to accomplish for your organization that they can they can get a pretty good sense for like, okay, is this a good fit for me or not? Right. You have to have some of that in there so the right candidates are coming through, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. like the first, I mean, if you're looking at a document, the first 60% is is it's marketing. Yep. It's it's talent and employer branding. And then the and the, the you know, tw- toward the bottom of it, it's really more like uh, and here's what we think our ideal candidate looks like. If all of this stuff resonates with you, fantastic. Start a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great tip. Um, you had mentioned that 
I mean, we've talked about inbound recruiting in, in a number of different ways, and you want to be the employer, right? You want folks to to come to you. You want to attract the right candidates. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing that there obviously is a talent shortage here, where else can partners more proactively seek out? Like where where in the pockets of the internet or elsewhere should these folks be looking for for these types of candidates? The options are fairly limited. I mean, look, if you're, if, if, if you're, if your strategy on talent acquisition is really post and pray, mm-hmm. which generally it is, you've got the names, you know, right. You've got LinkedIn, you've got indeed, and you've got some of the, some of the other stuff. Candidly, I don't know that people still really leverage monster career, but I don't, sure. I don't, we, it's so not a part of our world or our, of, of our, of our workflow. I don't know how popular that stuff is, but like people, companies use ZipRecruiter and there's all these career site aggregators. It's mostly indeed in LinkedIn. Yeah. Simply hired. There's some other interesting ones, but it's really, it's the names, you know? Yep. No, there's no secret grotto. It's, it's no, the systems and the platforms, it's, you know, the places, you know, are yes. the 100%. Place. Yeah. And look, and if you don't have an internal recruiting team, which essentially none of the partners do, mm-hmm. you just, you don't have the ability to go proactively recruit. You can't. Yeah, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of work. Oh, it's an, it's incredibly time intensive for yeah. sure. I mean, that's, that's what my team does all day, every day. And it's, it's incredibly time intensive. Um, but more often than not, that's how, that's, that's how you get the top, you know, the top 5% of talent out there mm-hmm. because look, the best people are generally working. They're not generally applying to career posts. And that's why you should, you should post jobs. I'm not saying you shouldn't, you should post really well thought out, really interesting candidate focused job descriptions, do that because you could get lucky. Yeah. That should get you some of your hires. Um, it's conversion but, rate optimization, right? Exactly. Try yeah. it. It's, yeah. it's relatively inexpensive mm-hmm. and it's going to get you some good people. It's, but if that is your entire strategy, it's, it's at some point, it's going to really slow down the pace at which you can grow your company. Yeah. That's a great point. I think the other elephant in the room here, as we, uh, I do want to save time for for the other aspects, but um, the elephant in the room here is compensation. How would you how would you describe the alignment or potential misalignment? You know, I'll I'll defer to you. But the alignment between how solutions partners are thinking about the going rate for this type of HubSpot talent versus the market rate in which they're like they're actually going for or what they're yeah. seeking. What's the? I'm so glad you asked. This this might be the thing that we found the most misalignment in the space early on. It's, it's, and it's why we produced the salary guide that we released um, last year for inbound for the first time. We're actually just about to release the six month refresh with updates on from all the data, from all the, the thousands of conversations that we've had over the last six, seven months. Um, it really stemmed from me having to be the bearer of bad news an awful lot on our early discovery calls. I mean, I, I would go into these conversations and companies had the very best intention, partners had the very best intentions. They wanted to pay market rates. They weren't intentionally underpaying. And they would say things like, we need a great senior strategist and our budget is $55,000. And so frequently I, I, I had to be the, you know, I had to be the bearer and I was just like, that's just, that's just not reality. I know you're not going to love this. I know you're not going to love this answer, but that just is not the market. Yeah. And we know that because we are talking to great digital marketing strategists all day, every day. That's, you know, for, for a long time, that was the most common request for a search that we had, especially from the partners. Yeah. And that's really what drove us to release the salary guide. Um, and I just think it's, it's an awareness thing. 
you know, I think especially partners just have to really understand what what their competitors are paying, what people are saying they know they're worth in the market and start there and, and really just prioritize um, budget versus skills. Yep. That's a great point. Um, now let's, for this next series of questions, let's say we do the example, the hypothetical is there's uh, mar- there's compensation alignment uh, and we have a person or people in our hiring funnel, right? They're in the process. Uh, my interpretation is that speed is of utmost importance, right? Like the team that gets back to candidates the fastest, like usually sure. bodes pretty well, but how well should partners be thinking about the broader kind of candidate experience? You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. And you, that's, that is the core phrase here. You, partners, any company that really cares deeply about hiring the very best people has to be obsessed with candidate experience. You, you are fortunate that this amazing candidate is going through your process. It is an awful lot of work and stressful and generally not super enjoyable to go through an interview process. So really obsessing about, okay, well, we know this person's going through a what can be a fairly unpleasant process of just interviewing. I don't think anybody genuinely enjoys it. How do we do all the things to make Unless it's it for a podcast. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Right. But like, how do we as the employer do all the things we can to make it most pleasant, most efficient, help, help the person going through feel most prepared for, for and it, and it does an awful lot of good things for you, right? You, you, you're, uh, one of the primary considerations as the employer is like, how do we do all the things to help this person have their very best showing? We want to see this person at their best. Um, and a big part of that is like setting really clear expectations, moving quickly through a process is critical. We talk about this a ton with our clients and it's, and, and look, moving quickly through a process is very different than compromising on your bar, on what you need, lowering your bar for talent. Like that's not the thing. Don't, don't do those things. You, you know what your business needs. Go find that. And when you've got somebody in your process, just you've, you've got to move um, in a speedy, well-cadenced, well-planned process f- for a couple of reasons, right? Again, the market's insane. This great candidate will have other options for sure. Um, and I, I think not enough employers kind of recognize this, but the, the longer the process drags out, candidates will naturally start to assume that you're not excited about them. The perception. Yeah. It's a great exactly. call. The perception is once you like, we talk about, we talk about 10 days as the ideal turnaround with our clients. Like you, you we really got to get through this 10 thing. days from 10 what kickoff to just from decision the day, from the day you meet it, from the day you meet the candidate, like first, first interview, first meaningful interaction to the day where you're deciding whether you're making an offer or not has got to be 10 business days or less. As soon as you start to get into week three, you know, especially as you get past week three, like your your candidate will start to go, oh, they must not love me, because if they did, they would have they would have communicated that they would have, they would have moved more quickly if I was the right person. Am I letting? Are they? Am I waiting for other processes to play out before they determine to circle back with me or something like that? Right. Bingo. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. And look, and then that may not be a reality. That, that right. That may just be completely erroneous perception that the candidate has, but they're if they're feeling it, it's real. Yeah, right. right. So make, make sure your candidates never feel that because look, really, really the, the output of that is optionality. You as the employer, you want the option to hire this person or not to hire this person to be yours. If you've got your candidates going, ah, eh, they must not like me. I'm going to withdraw. You, you've lost the option. 
Um, now, my interpretation is the candidate experience is for you to at least begin to demonstrate that you can walk the walk on the talk the talk piece of your employer branding page or careers page, right? Some of your values and culture have started to leak through. So I'd imagine this is your first opportunity to harmonize. Totally. Yeah. Um, but with that said, it's usually a committee of folks, potentially a committee, like multiple people involved in the interview and hiring process or the decision making, yes. right? So when we talk about the candidate experience process and defining the process, how prescribed or defined does like the role of interviewer have to be? Does that make sense? Oh, that's a great question. You, you can't over-prepare. I, I mean, there, there's nothing you can do to over-prepare for an interview process because your candidates will feel if it is thrown together or and varied. Candidates will feel disorganization quickly. Mm-hmm. The more organized, the more thoughtful, the more prepared, the better. I mean, look, you. I'll just talk about us internally. I mean, before we interview anybody, we meet as a team. We talk about their background, their experience, why they're at this stage, what we liked, any potential concerns. We talk about who's going to ask which interview questions through the process. And it just makes for really clean, really, really well-flowing interviews. And again, back to the idea of enabling your candidate to have their very best showing. There's no awkward pauses. There's no there's no strange segues. Like you know, going into this thing, what is the plan to, to execute on a really good interview? You as the employer get an awful lot more data because you stay focused and on track because you've defined before the interview. Here's the stuff we have to get through. We've got to learn these five things because we've said that the person we're going to hire has to have these five things. Mm-hmm. Our job on this interview is to evaluate: Does this person have those five things? Yep. And I mean, to be honest, it sounds like there's a course alignment opportunity, like you like subjectivity versus objectivity. Right. And so it's like, yeah, some of the that feels like a benefit of kind of like templatizing this, if you will. Right. Um, That feels like a critical component. It's just right. You've got to have a strategy to how to run how to run really good interviews, because if you don't, the worst the worst output of an interview is I don't know. I'm on the fence from the candidate side. No, for, as an employer. As oh, an I get it. Oh, like just they can't make the decision. They don't have strong right. enough criteria enough to make that decision. That's exactly right. Like you as the interviewer, your job in that interview is to get to a yes and here's why or a no and here's why. Like you're starting on the fence. If you come out going, well, I'm still not sure. That means you didn't do what you needed to do during the interview. Yep. That's a process failure. Right? Exactly. Yep. Um, all right. Kind of the third bucket here is, uh, candidate experience was phenomenal, really strong interview process. And we have this person signing the offer and coming in. Uh, I don't know if this is kind of where your experiences extend into, but I can imagine it's, uh, just as important to be intentional and to prioritize retention as it is hiring, right? We know the costs of retention versus having to backfill. And so, uh, any tips, tricks, like what's your perspective on how can partners best keep and grow the talent that they're able to to bring into the team? Okay, that is such that is such a big question. I, there's there's an awful lot of ways I could I could get into this. Let me let me give you some of the most low hanging fruit that I think would be easiest for partners to implement. And this is a thing we talk a ton about. Um, we do an awful lot of free coaching and consulting with with our clients around this thing. I haven't really talked much about this publicly, but as as a teaser of future things to come, this, this this is a thing that we, my team and I have a really cool opportunity to build into a service offering, like retention as a service, people ops as a service. So we we talk an awful lot about this thing. Look, I'll just, just to state the obvious, the most obvious thing is to be hyper-intentional about it. 
Yeah, and sure. start to think before before somebody starts. Like let's let across the time spectrum we're at. You got a signed offer letter. Start thinking about how to retain that person at that moment. Mm-hmm. Right, getting the person is step one. And to be to be candid, maybe the easier part of this thing, how to keep them engaged for years to come, and continuing to learn and grow along along that course is is definitely more difficult. Because there's an awful lot that goes into that. The, the, the first piece of it is there are a number of interactions and, and ideal interactions that can happen between signed offer letter and start date, right? Common mistake. You get your signed offer letter. You say, hey, we'll see you in two weeks. Keep an eye out for the yeah. package we're going to mail you. And there's no other communication. Yeah. In the bag. Yeah, totally. Oh, why? Set, hand, handwritten notes, videos from a founder and CEO, uh, swag gifts before they even start. I mean, like you're, you're gearing somebody up for their first day. You're maintaining the hype. Yep. It's exactly right. It's, it's momentum. It's it's maintaining the momentum and the hype. Like no one's ever going to be more excited for their job than they are going to be in their first couple of weeks. You're either going to meet them where they are and elevate, or it's going to dip substantially and you have to build them back. Right, so start by doing some really cool, interesting, fun things between signed offer letter and start date. The most important piece here is is really effective integration to the team. Uh, AKA onboarding. I like I like integration better, but yeah, it's but it's you really see those awesome. as synonyms more. Yeah, right. We're talking about new employee yeah, onboarding think, potentially, or is it yeah. onboarding plus or onboarding and? It's sort of like think. It's so this is a jargony thing, but like onboarding is really like. Let's get let's get you your permissions. Let's get you your laptop. Let's start to show you where things live and drive. Integration is here's how you genuinely become a member of our team. Mm-hmm. And the two they both have to happen. But I think a lot of companies stop short at like it's day three. We've given you all your stuff. Go do your job. Mm-hmm. And that is just that is such not the ideal way to do it. You know, it's like we 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 build we build custom onboarding plans for our clients all the time. And a, and a big part of it is. Look, your person's not doing their job in their first week. Week one has nothing to do with them doing their job. Week one is all about start to figure out what the heck we're talking about. Learn the organizational language, meet the people, start to figure out like what is the what is the rhythm of this organization you just joined? Yeah. Do that right. By the time you get to weeks three and four, they're gonna be much, much further along than where they would have been if you had just said, Hey, welcome. Here's your onboarding packet. Let's let's get you let's get you cranking with our clients. Well, I mean, yeah, the benefit here is yeah, the speed to ramp up, the speed to full plate, right? The speed to production or whatever their their key primary task is, right? Yeah. There's a speed exactly on Exactly. Right. On- onboarding is such an important part of it. It's like that's where that is how you set the tone for the years they're going to spend with your company. Now, there's there's a lot of work to be done about uh We've talked about careers page and employer branding. We've talked about templatizing and driving a process forward for interviewing and the candidate experience. There's integration and all like that's a lot of work. And I'm not trying to stifle future job opportunities for any pops as a service organizations, but are, <laughs> should more partners be thinking about full time pops employees? Hundred percent. You know, is 100%. there is there like a is there a is there a size like when when do, when do you see? Yeah. When does the system break if that role doesn't exist? You know what I mean? Like when should they really start to be yeah. thinking about it? Where in where in their scale? Okay, obviously it's different for every company, but my my opinion has always been when you start to when you start to go from a group of individual contributors doing their thing 
to a group of managers managing teams, you you need a people ops presence. If every employee that you add builds an additional level of complexity into the matrix of communication and the way you think about operations and delivery, et cetera. And, and, and the, what happens to the complexity when you then start to say, okay, we went from 11 people doing their thing to four managers with four teams, it just the, the complexity explodes. And there's just and more if, room for lack of consistency and right. There's exactly. just going to be more opportunity for the system to, to fail. Exactly right. And let me just talk about the people ops thing quickly because people ops, um, people ops is an umbrella term that generally includes three functions and a, a good, a great people ops person or service should have all three of these things, right? So people ops as an umbrella should include HR, just really like payroll benefits, compliance, compliance totally. yep. exactly right. Um, it should include recruiting and talent, which is which is all about right. How do you actually get great people, and how do you keep them? How do you keep them engaged? And it should include learning and development, which is all about okay, we've got somebody amazing. How do we keep them growing in their career and their skills and their craft for the years they're with us? And a great people ops person should have most most people ops professionals will be strongest at one of those things, but they'll be crossover. Right. If you go if you go hire a great people ops person, you should be looking for them to have some skill in all three of those buckets. Yeah, Which and for sense. smaller, especially for the partners, um, the talent piece is almost almost certainly the the most important. Small company, like a fifteen person company, doesn't have real deep HR and compliance considerations. Right, you're doing your thing in Gusto or ADP, and it's relatively simple. You've got a Benny's provider. And learning and development is probably really organic at this point. A, a good learning and development program is generally the last thing that that is that evolves out of this. That thing. installs, yeah, 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 right. So for for let's say a 15, 20, 25 person HubSpot partner, your people ops person is mostly thinking about how do we get amazing people, how do we keep amazing people. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah, and for the 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 onboarding piece, the integration piece. Yeah. To your point, it sounds that is the element that, that happens more organically, right? Especially for smaller scale teams, probably a lot of shadowing, you know, like there's just, Hey, you're going to start to sit in on some client accounts like that. That's the thing to your point that, that seems to manifest, manifest last, not necessarily as a third priority, but it's just, it has the most air coverage organically. It, we see we, there is such an incredible spectrum of thought, like thoughtfulness and sophistication put into onboarding plans. You know, there, it, it is extremely difficult to go make a great hire. And I, I've see, I see this all the time. Companies go through all this effort, sometimes lots of expense to go get somebody great. And then they spend two or three hours on the plan to get them up and running on the team. Yeah. And it's just such an incredible imbalance of investment. So you've just gone through all of this work to get somebody incredible. Spend, spend a lot, spend something close to as much time really thinking about how to get them to be a successful, fully integrated part of your team. Again, I'll just use us as an example. Um, when I get a new member on my team, every minute of their first two weeks is planned. Now, and not just planned, on their calendar. Yeah. There is nothing worse than starting a new job and you're a day Having or an empty with. calendar? <laughs> yeah. Right? Going, where am I spending my time? Yeah. Where, right, what am I focusing I, on? Yeah. What am I learning? Like I, I, I want to be working. I want to be learning. I genuinely don't know what the heck I'm supposed to be doing. I don't even know who to ask what I'm supposed to be doing. It, it, you know, it's like having the agenda, having the structure on the calendar. It just, 
tactically is important, but it's the feel, right? It, this person is now feeling like, wow, these guys really did a bunch of work to get ready for me. Amazing. Yep. That That is how you build on the early excitement. I'm already feeling invested in. I'm already feeling valued. Right. And they start to see the level at which your company operates. They go, wow, this is really detailed and excellent. This, this is a good example of the type of work that's going to be expected of me. That's a great point. Really ex- excellent and detailed. Um, I really don't want to open up Pandora's box here as we start to <laughs> run out of time, but I can only imagine how much a fully remote and fully distributed team, like, how that exacerbates the need for all of this stuff. Like we're now likely onboarding employees in this way in a completely remote environment. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, it was, it's really important whether you're in the office or, 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 or remote, but I mean, yeah, being, being fully remote, like my team is fully remote. We're in seven or eight States at this point. It's just, it, it is absolutely critical. I mean, ab- absolutely critical to get people integrated to the team, to, 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 to have any hope at keeping people long-term, they've got to really feel like they're a part of a part of the family, mm-hmm. you know? And I, and I realize that sounds cliche as I say it, but that is, that is the mentality you've got to have. Like your, your organization is, is a form of a family. You've, you've got to think of it that way. You've got to make, make people feel that way. Yeah. Um, and there's an awful lot of things you can do um, to drive that stuff. It just, it's about being thoughtful and intentional and just spending the time to go, okay, how do I make sure this person genuinely feels welcomed and that we were prepared and we're, we couldn't be more thrilled that they, they chose us yeah. and are going to come take this ride with us? No, 100%. Jason, last question. Uh, I wrap every episode with this. Uh, from your perspective, what is the strangest part of agency life? Oh, man. Uh, the strangest part of agency life. Let me think about this for a second. Um. Got to keep you on your toes, you know? Yeah, that's a good one, man. Okay, the stra- I think the strangest part of agency life has got to be what people name their Slack channels. <laughs> yeah, very, very granular answer, but yeah, that is really very strange. Yes, that can be I've seen, some, I've seen some really goofy stuff. Like our clients invite us to be a part of their Slack ecosystem sometimes, so we get we get to see some funny stuff. And there's, there's some really, really interesting – but I love it. It's like it's a, it's a part of making your culture personal and customized – um, but yeah, just like the, the goofy stuff that people do around, around Slack is one of my favorites. It's the element, it's just another element of how you can convey kind of the culture, right? Yeah, what's the, is there, is there, a, is there a specific, what's like, the, is there a super strange channel name or anything or like a custom emoji that you've seen uh, in any of these Slack? Does, does like one stand out? Oh man. Um, there's, okay. So there's one called the basement, which I thought was pretty cool, which is like, you know, up, up for debate on what goes on in that Slack channel. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can go in a number are, of different ways there. Sure, right? They're just ones that are very non-obvious, very silly names, and it's like, but I don't know. It's 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 a it's just a totally unique, customized part of a, of an organization that you you getting there, you seeing that, you learning about it, you feel like an insider. Yeah, yeah. Right? You're going cool. I get it. Somebody else who sees this isn't going to have any idea what we're talking about, but I get it because I'm here. I'm a part of this thing. And that's a play like it's important for that piece to be strange. That should be a strange part of agency, right? Yeah. Oh, um, all right. We are out of time. Jason, thanks so much for coming on. Um, this, I feel just such an important conversation to have and considerations for partners to be thinking about. So I uh, very much appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your perspectives. My pleasure, Kevin. This was great. Thank you. Awesome. All right. And for everyone that uh, has tuned in, this has been another episode of Agency Unfiltered.